lesson this afternoon, and thank you for being here again today. And for those of you who were not here yesterday, um, well, that's okay. A lot of the material is today. I'm going to let you know ahead of time, it is, um, I won't say it's, it's not labor intensive, but there's enough material here where you need to be very deft at taking notes. If you have an issue with taking a lot of notes in a hurry, I'll try to go slow. I'm not going to go at a, a record-breaking pace like we did yesterday, per se. Thank but there will be... <laughs> well, I, I have to be realistic about it. Um, but there is a lot of material. So we will go as slow as we can and move along, but we will make notes available later after this seminar online, and I'll make sure that that is made available to you once I actually have it posted and give, the, and give you the link for all of that as well, too. So you can go back and review it, but it is important to jot down the verses involved um, so that you can go back and refer to those verses because we covered verses yesterday that we did not read um, purposefully because it would have taken quite some time to go through those. But as we had mentioned at the beginning of this seminar, we need to make sure that we are sourcing our material well. And so you know where things come from. You can refer to it scripturally because we always do biblical sourcing uh, for our material. So with that in mind, we're going to do an introduction um, for this particular segment. What's in a name? What's in a name? Well, what's in a name? A great deal. It's much more than you may think. Now, when we spoke yesterday about God's names and how each one of them helped to identify him and speak of his character, even the names that we are given have a meaning. Amen? Amen. All of our names do have a meaning. And it's interesting how um, I use, uh, if you were to look up the root history of your name, what would you find out? Just do an internet search, and the results might surprise you. Now, yeah, what would you find out if you were to look up the root history of your name? Uh, that's something that I happen to do. I looked up my wife, Lynn, named, wife's name, Lynn, and thankfully her name and its origin is anything but controversial. Uh, Lynn, or... <laughs> Anything but controversial. Um, Lynn or Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E, which is a spelling that some people have managed to put on your name all the time. Um, it's a predominantly feminine given name in English-speaking countries. Now, it is more popular as a middle name than as a first name. It is also popular as a suffix for female first names. Um, such as Matt, it's a Celtic origin, and its meaning is pond, waterfall, pool, or lake. So her, her name represents a watery uh, body of water of some sort, um, which is a very interesting reference. And of course, if you want to use related names, you've got Lynn, L-I-N, you've got Linda, Lynette. Um, those are the names that are referred to here. So, then I looked up Melvin, and I had to sit for a moment and just say to myself, what? 
because my name uh, is, a, is a name that is worth mentioning. Uh, by the way, um, for those who came in, we want to make sure we get, all, get you all caught up. We have folder materials for you, and we have pens for taking notes and all that good stuff, so we need to make sure you're, you're there up to speed so we're not... No, you're fine. It's all good. So when we look up my name, it is a male name. The origin of Melvin is either English, English, and Scottish. Uh, the meaning of the word Melvin is council protector. Uh, I also found a reference to my name meaning polished chief. Um, and that part I'll, I'll hang on to. Um, the popularity of the name in 2017 was number 737. Um, so now that's not a big deal unless you consider like back in the when I first got my name in the 50s, um, it was around 120 something. So it's it's gotten a lot less popular. But the way it was referenced when I'm looking it up. Um, it's also referenced as uh, one of the names that no boy may be cool enough for. And I'm like saying, what does that mean? All right. So that's, that was kind of an interesting statement or thought. So, and from the experts, this once perfectly respectable surname has suffered decades of abuse, not least by which Jerry Lewis had played these demented spastic characters in the 50s. So I thank you, Jerry, uh, for doing all of that. But it goes even further than that. Uh, Melvin, you know, there's different derivatives of the name Melvin. You got Melville, uh, De Lemoine, Melwin, and Melvin with a Y. Um, but the word is actually derived from a, a, a place called Malaville, which translates to bad town. I don't like saying bad town. And it goes further. If you do another definition with it, it says mill worker, bad town. So that was disappointing news. And I look up my wife's name, and her name looks great, and my name looks like some dude from a bad town. <laughs> well, you know they like, they like bad boys. So, well, no, no that's not a bad boy. That's just, it's just disappointing. So I was disappointed by that, so I kept looking for more information to encourage me about my name, and what I found did not get better. So Melvin... Now, from the Farlex Dictionary of Idioms, Melvin is a maneuver in which someone's underwear is yanked up from behind until it is wedged between their buttocks, typically as a prank or a wedgie. So, the Farlex Dictionary of Idioms. I, I, I said, you go look on the internet, you'll find out some stuff, and you may or may not like it. So if you use that in a sentence, I don't know if it's the pants I'm wearing or the underwear, but I keep getting a Melvin while I walk. <laughs> or the group of bullies gave him such a bad Melvin that he could barely walk. <laughs> I know. It goes from there. If you want to give someone a Melvin to jerk up someone's pants or underwear, drawing the fabric up sharply between the buttocks, mm, it is assumed that some geek 
named Melvin goes about with his underwear in the uncomfortable position. Tom came up behind Fred and with a deft motion gave Fred a Melvin that he would never forget. So it went downhill even more. From the McGraw-Hills Dictionary of American Slang and Colloquial Expressions, Melvin, a studious or unattractive male. That's from the teens and collegiate. Do you think that I would go out with that Melvin? <laughs> or a second definition, a situation where one's underpants right up between the butts, and we've seen that already before. How could anybody go around all day with a Melvin like that? Like that. <laughs> I'll tell you. Another more obscure online slang referred to Melvin as a geek, square, dork, or dweeb, etc. Well, after this latest kick in the pants, or should I say a wedgie to my brain, I found out that in my situation, the passage of time and my name has become much more kind to me. When I was younger, I was admittedly a geek or a square. I was blessed to have around me other geeks who seemed to value their educational experience. And when I met Lynn for the first time in 1977, she was the smartest person I ever knew. She was also picked on a lot, just like I was, so we were both in very familiar territory as being the not most popular students in school. So in 2005, the name Melvin became more of an academic. A person or persons who take part in geek-like activities like math competitions, chess competitions, Xbox, parties, basically a nerd, a dweeb, a geek, etc. Then as I searched my name further, things started looking up. The references to a wedgie, geek, and dork started to fade, and the more modern interpretations of Melvin began to reflect an entirely different picture. Of all the definitions of names, I had to go to a place where you tread carefully, even though it comes up in the overall search results. The Urban Dictionary. And this can be scary. But for me, um, it actually turned out pretty good. So if you look up in the Urban Dictionary, Melvin, like fine wine as the years went by, now being a geek was becoming more and more cool. And it is today. So here's a definition. <laughs> One of the very first people that created ninjas nearly 2,000 years ago. That's a, <laughs> a very powerful ninja known to dominate the rival ninja known as Jasmine. His power is so mighty, <laughs> it is said that it rivals that of Chuck Norris. And of course, a one word, epic. So, so my name went from being this bad thing up to now being an epic type situation. A tour group came to a huge city that was totally demolished. What happened here, they asked. The guide simply said, Melvin. <laughs> this is true. Just look it up and see. Um, another one. A definition of awesome. Just simply amazing. Look at Matt. He is so Melvin. He is very smart, especially in creative writing, even if he is somewhat an overachiever. And a top definition, a very awesome person. Best player of Call of Duty. No Andrew compared to his awesomeness. Yo, man, I got so owned by a Melvin. And that's from 2011. 
Now, somehow, I think the top definition wound up being more of a joke, but I'll take it as I want to be known and remembered as an awesome person. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I want to be known for. Now, I went through this exercise of self-deprecation to show that names do have a meaning and a purpose. And thankfully, in our situation, they can evolve over time from something that may have been originally been a negative connotation and evolve into a positive one. Of course, you are the most important person that can give your name a positive influence to others. You are that person. Amen? You're the one that can do that. Um, how do you do that? You do it by treating people in a consistent, Christ-like manner. You are to live a Christ-centered existence. The Holy Spirit gives you the power and the ability to live a Christ-centered life. No matter what your name is, you are living as Jesus Christ would have you to live. That's what's important. That's how you develop your reputation. So let's take a look at Christ-centered names. By the way, we will be taking breaks in between, and they are planned breaks uh, for about five minutes or so. And just as a reminder for those who stayed at the hotel, there is a built-in break at 11 o'clock for checkout. If you have not checked out, you can do that later. Yes? That is correct. Okay, so we went over yesterday the very important name of God in which he refers to himself as I am. And of course, as a reminder, this is in Genesis, or pardon me, Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. And we, we did those verses yesterday as a reminder. This, this is for people who were not here. But you'll note that that is where Moses had the encounter where he asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So know that God is very clear that I am is a name of his to be remembered in every generation. And Jesus Christ follows this with his declarations that he makes as previously noted in the book of John. These are all good, but we still want to go back to the original Hebrew to capture the names given to God based upon one's first-hand experiences and interactions with him. These names are just as valid as I am in that they help all of us make a greater connection with God and his character. So now, a quick note. We could just as easily do this entire study without the use of Hebrew names. But to do so would fail to explore the richness and added texture of the original Hebrew meaning of these words. Their use will provide greater opportunities of contextual application to our study. So let's go over these. Many of you will recognize where these names come from because they make up the foundation of the gospel message of the Christian and Missionary Alliance founder, A.B. Simpson. Mr. Simpson wrote about this almost 130 years ago, back in 1890, as the tenets of the fourfold gospel. First of all, we have the name Jesus Christ as Savior. Savior. Now, 
the Hebrew name, that's the name that's selected for Jesus as Savior, is Yahweh Tzidkenu. Everybody say that with me together. Yahweh Tzidkenu. Okay. Now that'll keep you engaged too. If I have to keep you pronouncing Hebrew names, you'll, you'll stay up with me. Uh, <laughs> Now, I'm using this reference for Jesus Christ as Savior because it is only in his sacrifice for us that we are declared righteous. The Lord, our righteousness, refers to Jesus as the one and only one who can save us from our sins. He is the only one who can do that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, before I continue, um, before I want to go forward, I want to add the name of Yahweh in that we must know and understand that Yahweh is what we refer to as God's proper name. Just like you have a proper name, my name is Melvin, Lynn's name is Lynn, Yahweh is God's proper name. That's the name that we refer to when we go back and look at it historically. Um, it's important to know this because the use of Yahweh far surpasses the use of uh, the word God in Scripture, in the Old Testament. Yahweh appears over 6,800 times in the Old Testament, while God, as El or Elohim, is only there about 2,800 times. So there's a distinction there. We will refer more to the use of Yahweh later in this study. That's a brief Hebrew. Hebrew. Russia, Hebrew, Hebrew. 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 Yes. All Hebrew. Old Testament. All Old Testament is Hebrew. New Testament is Greek. Okay. So, God wants us to know him personally, just as you need to know someone's name to begin to get to know that person better. That's why we're having this study, that's why we're looking at this. So, one of the passages in order to get to God, know God's name better, Jeremiah 33, 16 is a passage. And as you see these, uh, you please write down the verses so that you can refer to them later. And some of these I will read out loud to you um, if you want to follow along as well with your electronic device or your paper device. Uh, right, Roscoe? Oh, yeah. Amen. Okay. High tech. High tech. <laughs> yes, this is all high tech here, I know. Jeremiah thirty-three sixteen. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is what she will be named. The Lord is our righteousness. Because it's the righteousness that is made by God for us that we need to understand. He is the one who is righteous. We are not righteous unless we recognize him as Lord and Savior. So do you see how our salvation is tied directly to none other than Jesus Christ, the righteous one? Of course it is. Okay? Acts 4.12 is another reference to look at here. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 <clears throat> So as a reminder, this was God's plan for us from the very beginning. For he knew that no amount of blood and animal sacrifices could properly redeem man's sinfulness. It had to be a point of God to provide his son as our righteous savior. Now I'm reading in Leviticus right now. And Leviticus, if you remember or recall, there's just this constant mention of what you need to do. If there's a sin, a sin sacrifice, um, everything from the blood, if somebody sins by accident, 
You had to have an animal sacrifice. It had to be blood sprinkled on the side of the altar, be dropped down in the, in the till in front of the altar, and certain parts of the animal could be removed, and the rest of it would be taken out outside the camp and burned. This was a regular, ongoing process that the Israelites had to take, take part in in order to account for any sin that had taken place. So you can imagine there was a lot of sacrificing going on. Because the one thing we don't talk about sometimes is that what if you sin and you don't really, you aren't even aware of it, then it comes to mind. Do you ask for forgiveness? Do you seek forgiveness? Well, every time they had that ritual, they had to do that every single time. This was an ongoing process. Thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore. That's a big deal. We're thankful for who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Consider that we may declare ourselves to be righteous, but we can only do so in our humanity. In our own humanity. We can say we're righteous, but we would be actually lying to ourselves. This involves much more than just doing what is right versus doing what is wrong. If we are honest with ourselves, we are hardly righteous, and we are ready to sin at the next opportunity. Only Jesus can offer instant forgiveness when we repent, and instant cleansing when we acknowledge our need for his presence. Romans 3, verses 9 through 11, I have the ESV version here I'm going to read. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. I found a recording, believe it or not, and it was Bob Dylan that actually did a song no one is righteous, no, not one. It's a great song. It's interesting when you learn about people and what they go through, and sometimes they put it upon themselves, don't get me wrong, with, if they're acting up, if they're into drugs or a, a heavy-duty lifestyle. Bob Dylan did a great song. and See if you can find it. It's worthless. I actually have it, and I was going to play it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save it for later if you guys want to hear that. But ultimately, it comes down to how he recognized and pulled right from Scripture how no one's righteous and was talking about people's lifestyles, people pretending to be a person that they really weren't, and, and the sin that was involved and how he had to learn from it himself. It's interesting what happens when people really understand. And remember when I talked about this emotional connection with Jesus? That's what I'm speaking of. Rather than just being a person for Christ as a period being a person for Christ as an exclamation point. That's an important connection to make. Romans 3, 23 and 24. It's interesting to add 24 because we typically stop at 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We got that. We understand that. But verse 24 says, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. 
Because without that, we are falling short of the glory of God. We cannot have fellowship with God because of our sin. Only because of his forgiveness do we have that fellowship. His righteousness is inherent in his nature and his character. Praise the Lord. Next, we have Jesus as sanctifier. The name, the Hebrew name for this is Yahweh Mekadesh. Yahweh Mekadesh. Everybody say that with me. Yahweh Mekadesh. Very good. And, you know, with our Americanization of, of Hebrew, we're going to butcher it, so I'm already prepared for that automatically, but we do the best we can, amen? amen. The uh, name in English for this is the Lord who sanctifies makes holy. The Lord who sanctifies makes holy. You might have noticed in your handouts that they have you have Savior, Sanctifier, the orange pages are all going to be coded based upon the names uh, for this particular section. They're coded by the breaks. They're coded by breaks? First section is one. Oh, first section is, okay. <laughs> yeah. When you move to the next color, you move to the next section. Move to the next section. And understand something, my wife does not even know what I write in these seminars. I just give her the material and she just puts together the rest. So mm-hmm. praise the Lord for her. Amen. Doing that. So I bet I surprised her about the name and the wedgie thing earlier. So I... Yes, you did. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I surprised myself by even mentioning it. Um, <laughs> so now this name of God follows and even complements Yahweh to Sidkenu because it is clear that the only God, only God in the person of Jesus Christ is the only one and not the law itself that can cleanse his people and make them holy. Leviticus 28. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sets you apart. Setting apart. Sanctification process. He sets us apart because of our fellowship with him, because of his forgiveness for us. We are set apart. And sanctification is an ongoing process. If you study anything about sanctification, this is an ongoing process in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In other words, you are better today in Christ than you were five years ago. You're better today in Christ than you were ten years ago if you are being obedient to him and doing what he tells you to do through his word. It's a given that you're being sanctified more and more every day. Now, I say that that's the optimal thing. It's really up to you to make sure that that takes place. Okay. Ezekiel 37, verses 25 through 28. They will live in the land that I give to my servant, I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They will live in it forever with their children and grandchildren. And my servant David will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be a permanent covenant with them. I will establish and multiply them and set my, will set my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. When my sanctuary is among them forever, the nations will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel. The sanctifying presence of Christ is ongoing through the powerful gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells within each and every believer in him. 
You only need to look at Jesus' prayer to his Father in John 17 to see where this ongoing sanctification comes from. John 17, verses 16 through 19. Remember, this is his prayer. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so that they may also also may be sanctified by the truth. Do you feel his ever present, ever working power to move you closer to him? Do you feel it? You should. You should. His sanctifying power comes from his word and his presence throughout your day-to-day existence. 1 Corinthians 1.30 It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Look how that verse actually mentions righteousness, sanctification, and redemption all in the same verse. It's all because of what Christ is doing. He became wisdom from God for us. He gave us his word to show us godliness and wisdom. Next. Jesus is referred to as our healer. Amen? He is our healer. In Hebrew, his name is Yahweh Rapha. 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 Yahweh Rapha. Everybody say that. Yahweh Rapha. Very good. You'll notice that italicized, that's kind of the emphasis. Uh, That's why I said it the way I did. Yahweh Rapha. Rapha. Okay. That's the Lord who heals. The Lord who heals. A verse that refers to that is Exodus 15, verses 20 through to 27. Um, I'm going to not read that. It's a little bit longer. But there is a, a healing that takes place in that verse. And there was a statute that was made there um, with Moses about healing. It had to do with the bitterness of the water. And what happened was Moses was commanded to uh, put a, a tree into this water that was considered bitter and unable to drink it. And what happened was that that water, once he threw that in there by the command of Moses, it, water was made clean and able, and they were able to drink it, drink from it. And so the Lord made a statute and ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there and said, you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, and keep all his statutes. I will not inflict any illnesses on you that I have inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. So remember what happened with the Egyptians. There were all kinds of plagues. All kinds of plagues because they chose not to follow the Lord, chose not to be obedient to him. And sometimes I wonder if some people just get sick because they're just not being obedient. Is that 100%? No. Because we have a sovereign God. We don't know how God operates, but I got to tell you something. You improve your chances if you're obedient. So it's something we need to pay attention to. And and please don't come back and say, he said it was absolutely the truth. No. Don't do that. 
James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And by the way, we understand that God has the power to heal us physically and the power to heal you spiritually, which is what we should always remember within our affliction. Um, we also have to be fully prepared to give everything we have to Jesus in bearing our souls and asking forgiveness for our sins. That's important too. Ask Jesus for forgiveness because remember what we just said before? No one is righteous. No, not one. Well, that's everybody. That's me. You need to ask for forgiveness. You don't want anything to be a hindrance to his healing. That's the whole point of that. Don't let unforgiveness or don't let your attitude or don't let you carrying on and on and saying, why am I sick all the time? Why am I this? Why am I that? Well, it might be your attitude. Yeah. No, I'm not, you know, just putting it out there, you know. See, I'm not the pastor, see. The pastor has to watch his words when he talks to me. <laughs> That's right. I'm not the pastor. So, you know, I'm going to tell him. I'm just milk. I'm milk. That's right. I'm epic milk. <laughs> so, that's right. But, but it's the truth. Why would you want to be, why would you want to hinder God's healing because you have a bad attitude? You know, it's, it's something to take into account. James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 says, Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray for over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. The key words in that is prayer. Because the prayer of a person who is truly seeking the Lord and righteous, God hears those prayers and responds to those prayers. That's what we really need to understand about this whole healing thing. It's about your prayer life. It's about how you seek the Lord, how you go to the Lord, and not go to the Lord like you're always asking for something or begging for something, but praying earnestly for Yourself and others. That's Christ-like living. That's why we're going through this exercise of Christ-like behavior. People who have dealt with serious illnesses and have experienced remission or complete healing can certainly relate to God's healing power. Amen? Amen. Mercy and grace and his name, Yahweh, Rapha. Finally, for this section, Jesus is the coming king. The Hebrew name representing his kingship is Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim. Everyone say that together. Yahweh Elohim. Okay. That's one of the easier ones, right? Yes. It's also... Lord God. That's what it represents. Lord God. Which is the accurate representation of Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the representation. Acts 1 verses 4 through 11 and this is, has to do more with uh, about God's restoration of the kingdom. 
Uh, well, let's read that. I'll read it for, for you. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. This is actually right when Jesus is leaving. This is after the crucifixion. Now we're in the book of Acts, and we follow that. While he, Jesus, was with them, the disciples, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, You have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Hence the phrase, coming king. He's coming back. Meaning that he will return soon. We wait with anticipation and expectation. There are many prophetic statements of Jesus as the coming king. One uh, that follows is from Daniel, um, and one from Jesus himself, which refers to Psalm 110.1. And I'll read Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, since that one's a relatively short one. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Amen. Mark 14, verses 61 and 62. But he kept silent and did not answer, Again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, I'm going to not read Revelation 4, verses 1 through 11, but I'm going to give that as a homework assignment for you. Because it's actually a representation of the throne room of heaven. And it's a visual that is just fascinating to read. But Revelation 4, verses 1 through 11, it's a pretty long passage to read. But you'll know why he's referred to as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords after you read that. The name will best fit with those individuals who are church worship leaders or those who have a deep emotional connection with Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now remember... We heard songs yesterday, for those who were here yesterday, about how Jesus is the king. Mm-hmm. And there's a connection and recognizing that Jesus is the king. He is somebody to be responsive to, someone to listen to, someone to adore, someone to worship. And this exercise of looking at these different names as savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king, that's a great starting point. Mm-hmm. A great starting point for recognizing Jesus for who he is. Okay. It's 9.45. Want to take a five-minute break? 
All right, let's take a five-minute break. We'll get back into it. If you have questions or comments, you're welcome to ask if you want to stay around here, but we'll go ahead and take a quick break uh, right now. And we'll see you back here in five minutes.